Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Couric, and welcome to Next Question. Today, I have such a treat for you, a man you are certainly familiar with. He can make you laugh. All right, everyone, gird your loins. He can make you swoon. Julia, you are the butter to my bread and the breath to my life. I love you, darling girl. And he can also make a mean Negroni. You can do it on the rocks. It's kind of really nice to have it up. It's Stanley Tucci, everyone's favorite pandemic sauce man. Enjoy. Are we doing the thing right now, or are we? Yeah, yeah, we're doing it right it. now. This is it, oh, baby. Doing it right now? Well, I wasn't sure if it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I'm so happy to see you, and I know that I'm really happy to see you too. I really appreciate that you've, Stanley, been able to cram me into your very, very busy oh schedule. God. Because what can I say? There's been a Tucci sense. Yeah, Tucci. <laughs> Am I right? Yes, I think so. Yes, which, yeah, is wonderful and embarrassing. Yes. Well, I think it's just plain wonderful and I'm not embarrassed at all. But <laughs> I, I want to ask you about all the different things you've been doing, Stanley, because you have been so busy. You have your CNN series about yeah. Italy. You yeah. have an upcoming book. You have a movie you just did with my 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 sauce man, Colin Firth. I mean, you're you're also my sauce man's family, but yeah, I've had a yeah. I have had a thing for Colin Firth uh for for decades now. Well, it's it's hard not to. We're gonna talk about Colin and your wonderful movie with him and also about how you're delighting all your Instagram followers with your cocktails. And we'll talk about that and you and Felicity and how that all got started. But I thought we should start by talking about your extraordinary series on CNN, which I have to be honest, makes me very, very hungry. And since I've sworn off carbs, damn you, Stanley Tucci. Is it like a brioche? Yeah, it's like it a brioche. It looks like a brioche. And it's even healthy as compared to this. This is a bomba con la crema, it's fried. It's a sort of donut with egg cream. I can't imagine a better 
uh, assignment for you, Stanley, because you're Italian on both sides. You're a foodie uh, from way back and you love to travel. So how much fun was this just exploring these regions and, and what did you learn from the experience? Well, I learned a great deal because we, we wanted to incorporate always um, not just that the idea of Italy. First of all, I wanted to sort of dispel the myth that Italy is the food of Italy is pasta and pizza and chicken parmigiana, which is not an actual Italian dish. Yes, I saw I saw some of the um, innards that you were consuming. And I have yes. to say, I think I would say, check, please. I'm not an adventurous eater, Stanley. Oh, no. But Katie, then we'll go out to dinner and, and you will be. It'll be fine. Okay. I promise. I promise. <laughs> you needn't be afraid. But the, <laughs> the, I wanted to dispel that myth that, you know, pasta is with every meal and uh, the tomato is in everything and so on and so forth. Yes, that's, that can, that's true to, in, in certain parts of Italy, but not all parts of Italy. Pasta gives way to polenta, which gives way to rice. And everything is cyclical and everything is seasonal. And the Italians still promote this and believe it and live by it. And I think that's one of the things that makes them so, that makes their, their cuisine so attractive. But, but, the, but the idea that you can have, um, Cavolo Nero, which is a, uh, a black kale, uh, that you have that in the north, but you don't necessarily have that in the south. That you have eggplant down in the south, but you don't have that. No, you'll never see an eggplant. You'll never see a tomato. You very seldom have pasta. But the other aspect was that I wanted to show Italy not in a, ro in a completely romantic light, but to show it truthfully through its food. And as you delve into that food, specifically in each region, what you're going to end up delving into is the society. And every society has issues. And there is a huge amount of poverty in Italy to this day, not just in the South, uh, but in the North as well. And there's a lot of prejudice. There's a lot of um, uh, sort of, let's say, governmental confusion as to what a safety net should be and what a safety net shouldn't be. Um, and you want to, in each episode, sort of shine a little bit of a light on that. I think you do. You know, I was, I, I was going to say, Stanley, I was taken with how you showed sort of these forces that were butting up against each other in an episode when you talked about kind of uh, gentrification or trying to have new restaurants in this certain area and how they were being yes. bombed. And that to me was a microcosm of some of the social issues that are happening everywhere. This reaction to, to multiculturalism, to yeah. uh, disruption, etc. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's really interesting. And it's very sad because to me, as as a, as a as an Italian American, um, you know, yes, when Italians came over, they came over because they were they were suffering terribly in Italy in the between the wars or prior to uh, World War One. But to think that Italy would reject people in need 
when a lot of countries, America in particular, accepted so many Italians when they were in need is heartbreaking to me. And it's not that when the Italians came to America that they weren't uh, vilified, that they weren't um, ostracized, that they weren't demonized. But ultimately, what they ended up doing was making our society so much better. And in Italy, there are those who really see the benefits of, of immigration. And there are those, particularly in the North, who don't. Uh, and one episode, the episode in Milan, uh, I interview and spent time with a, a guy who uh, is the sort of uh, gamekeeper of, of, of Lake Como. And he looks after the health of the lake. He's a fisherman. And he's an ardent uh, environmentalist. And yet, at the same time, and these things don't often go together, he's, he's anti-immigration and he's part of the, of the league, which is the, the right-wing, um, you know, political group uh, headed by Salvini. Um, so there's a real dichotomy there. And we had a good conversation about it, but, you know, he's a lovely guy with a great family and everything, but you just think, if you if you if you could only see that the the more diversity there is, the healthier a country is. How did COVID affect the production schedule, and what was it like, kind of taking this on in the middle of a global pandemic? Well, it was. We did the first four episodes prior to the pandemic. The second, you know, the second leg of it was done just two episodes. Uh, it just makes it uh, more complicated. It makes it harder. It's not, uh, it's not as much fun. Um, you want to be, you want to follow all the protocols and be really careful. And, and every day you're learning something new at that point about COVID and, um, well, still. Um, but it was, it was hard. It, it was hard. I mean, I have a friend of mine who's directing a series here now, <clears throat> excuse me, for Netflix, I think for Netflix, something. And he, <laughs> and he, uh, one and of he, those. Yeah, one of those. He told me that they've added $17 million to their budget simply for testing and COVID protocols. Wow. I'm doing something here and I'm tested. Uh, once I start the job on Thursday, I think I'm tested five days a week. So if you think about hundreds of people, how much that costs. Um, it's going to actually change the face of the film industry significantly because the movie that I made with Colin will, will, uh, called Supernova that we made for 3 million, 3 million pounds. Uh, you won't see a movie like that for quite a while. Why is that? Because of the protocols. It just can't afford it. Can't afford it. No. We'll talk about Supernova, but you don't really you don't really talk much about the pandemic in the series, which I thought was interesting. There would be maybe a mask here, an elbow bump there. Yeah. And um, was that a conscious decision? Because Italy was so devastated. And of course, we watched in horror as so many people 
were dying from from this disease. Did you feel like it would date it or, you know, how did you decide no, how to handle think, that? You know, I don't know. I don't know, Katie. I don't know why we didn't do that. I think I think we were I think we were all a bit shocked by it. And I think we just wanted to try to move forward because it was at a point where we thought that things were getting better. And, uh, you know, you don't want to skirt the issue, but you also don't, it's not an investigative show. Right. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not that. You want to acknowledge it, but, but I'm going forward. I, I would, I would like to talk more about that. I would like to talk more about um, the loss and also the success of the way the Italians uh, handled it from the get-go. You may get a chance to do that because I know you're doing another season. Is it going to be searching for Italy or is it going to be searching for uh, the UK? What are you going to be searching next, Stanley? Well, we're going to search different regions. We're going to do um, we're going to do six different regions. Six different regions of the world, or no, no, Italy, Italy. Oh, you're doing more Italy, though. Yeah, yeah. You There's seem more. Bored. You seem bored by that. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited about it. In fact, I think for a lot of people, we just got so much vicarious pleasure not only watching you eat, and I have to ask how you stay so. Thin, Stanley, because it's friggin' annoying to watch you eating all that stuff and then to watch you and you like look like you don't even have body fat anyway. But I, I think people just love watching, uh, watching it, especially because we are all desperate to travel. And I think yeah. for yeah. us to see you enjoying, you know, these beautiful, fascinating places full of incredible people, I think I loved you know, meeting the people behind the food. Yeah, I, yeah. I think I think it sort of spirited us, us away from our, our pandemic blues, if you will. So yeah. I love Italy yeah. and I'm happy you're doing more. Um I, I, I'm excited just to to watch whatever you do, Stanley. So um, thank you. No, no, because you're you're so fun to watch and you're kind of easy to be with on television. I can't explain <laughs> it. But do you know what I mean? You're just uh yeah. you just feel like a, a travel companion. So it's been really nice. But but um do you what's the response been? Are a lot of people saying that to you? Like it's just it's just so much fun to to see the world. Yeah, it or at is. least a part it of the world. It is. No, it is. You don't, you know, I was, I, you have to be careful not to make it trite, as I said, not to make it, um, oh, isn't Italy the most romantic place in the world? And yes, there's romance in Italy. There's romance everywhere. But, you know, there are darker aspects of every country. Uh, and, and we touch on them. But I, for me, for me, it's really just about telling the truth of that of that country through its cuisine, and the cuisine is arguably um, the. I think it's the most beloved food in the world. Um, if anyone, if you said to anyone, "Do you like Italian food?" Have you ever met a person who says no? 
No. No. When we come back, how did Stanley become such a foodie? And how does he stay so damn fit? That's right after this. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. How do you stay so skinny, Stanley? (laughs) I exercise obsessively. Um, and I'm blessed with a very fast metabolism. Really. I mean, really. I eat pasta, like, every day. <laughs> I hate people like you, Stanley, yeah, but I know, that's but okay. I work, I, 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 work, I work out like a... How, yeah. how did you become a foodie in the first place? Because this is not your first rodeo when it comes to kind of exploring cuisines. Can you take me back to your, like, food origin story where you thought, ah, I, I just... I really love food and who influenced you? Because I sort of know the answer, but some of our listeners may not. My family, my mother, my grandmother, my, on both sides. Um, food, food was everything. Sitting around the table at night was what you just did. You were not late for dinner. Um, if you were, you were sort of roundly chastised. Um, and my mother, and I write about this in, in, in the book, my mother was, is, 
an incredible cook. I mean, she's the she's the kind of person that, I mean, had she chosen to be a professional chef, it, she would have been extraordinary, beyond, beyond. And I'm not saying this because, oh, every Italian boy loves his mother's cooking. <laughs> you know, it's not it's not like I've been around. You know, uh, not in that sense, Katie. But in, you know, <laughs> but it, you know, but uh, you know, I, you're just like. Whoa, no matter where I travel, no matter where I go, I always go back to those flavors and that process. And and when I find something new, it's great. But ultimately, that's the stuff that that really works. I mean, really works. It's Describe. Describe the Tucci family dinner table growing up, because I just want to have people get an image of it and what it was like, where it was, and kind of the commotion that would take place there. Yeah, I mean, we were just in Westchester and in, in, in our house and, <clears throat> excuse me, in Katona, and uh, we had this ranch house that that my parents had built, which now would be... I mean, uh, you couldn't buy you couldn't buy a car for the price of the house and the whole thing. Beautiful house uh, on a cul-de-sac in the in the you know in suburbia. My dad came. He was an art teacher. He retired. Uh, still alive. He's about to be ninety-one. Um, wow, that's so nice for you. That's great. It's great. Probably better for him because he's still alive. <laughs> But I, but I, but uh, yeah, it was you know that my my mom worked in the office at the um, uh, high school where he taught uh, in Chappaqua, and they went to work together every day, came home every day. So my dad was home uh, when we were home after school, which was great. Uh, and then you know you do your homework or not do your homework. And then um, they were always cooking dinner. Together. How many little how many little Tucci's were running around, Stanley? There were there were me and my two sisters, younger sisters. Um, and it was wonderful, you know. I mean it was in the time of, you know, there was one black and white television and my father used to watch the Huntley Brinkley report. Is that what it was we called? did too. Yeah, yeah, right. Huntley report night. on NBC. Yeah, every night. And my mother cooked. My father was a sous chef. There was no sort of like the man does this, the woman does this. It wasn't it wasn't like that. Uh although she did do more of the cooking. Uh because she was really good at it. Um and then everybody pitched in and cleaned up and you sat around the table and you had wonderful conversations or you had arguments or you had whatever. And it was, but every night was, I mean, I remember my mother just sort of making paella. That was extraordinary. Or suddenly, you know, making, you know, crepes, you know, with bechamel and chicken and, you know, just, and you thought she's gone to work. She's worked all day. She then she comes home and she does all this stuff. My dad helps her, and then you know it, it was it was an amazing, amazing 
uh, culinary experience every week, every week. So she really infused in you and your dad, I think, a love of food. And so that's kind of from an early age, how you became kind of uh, enamored with cuisine. And did they speak Italian? How did you become so proficient in Italian? No, they didn't really speak. My father spoke some Italian. Uh, My mother spoke Italian, but more dialect. Um, I learned in Florence uh, when I was 12. We lived there for a year when I was 12. And then, um, uh, of course, you know, you're 12, you speak fluently because you don't have much else up there. Um, (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, you become this sort of, you know, lingual sponge. But then uh, I, when I was doing Big Night, I studied Italian again for about a year. And now before the series, I studied again. So every time I go, you know, it comes back. Suddenly it starts to come back. Uh, but I have to make a concerted effort to, to learn it properly because it disappeared. Well, it sounds like uh, you know what you're talking about. All I well, know I'm is back. like <laughs> Carazzi and Prego <laughs> and Chow. Yeah. No, that's good enough. Okay. I'd like to <laughs> I'd like to learn Italian. Uh, maybe do I'll it. do that. I, I think do it would it. be good for my brain too. No, it actually a, is a new language. Really good to do. It is. I do it with a guy online. Um, he's Italian. He was teaching here in England. We had like two things, excuse me, two sessions in person. And then it was like I was like, don't drive all the way here and come. He was in you know, North London or something. I was like, no, we'll just do it on the, you know, this is pre-pandemic. Uh, and now he's moved to Spain where his wife is. And um, we just do it, you know, on Zoom like this. And it's great. And it's really, really great. It's really great. And we just, like, he does not allow me to speak in English, which is really painful for both of us. <laughs> Um, I want to talk about your the new book that's that's coming out. But first, I want to talk to you about Supernova and mm-hmm. this 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 small but very moving movie that you did with my BFF Colin. Yes, for, yes. for for the uninitiated, and yes. it is the story of uh, two men who have been a couple for twenty years. Yeah, uh, and it's 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 a very quiet story that unfolds and. And obviously your character is in early stages of dementia. Yeah. Teach me. What? That? Hmm. Now? <laughs> Why? God. Want to learn? <laughs> no, I, I want to be able to find it. All right. Try. Okay. So, um, first you have to find the, um, the what do you call it? It's a shape. The shape. Triangle. The shape. Yeah, triangle. And you have to find the three brightest lights there that make the triangle. These ones. This one. Mm-hmm. Then draw a line horizontally through it, and that's where the Milky Way is. 
What drew you to the role? And, and why did you say, you must get a million scripts, Stanley, let's be honest. And, no. and you know, <laughs> no, you, <laughs> come on, you do. Listen, it's the Tucci sans. It's the Tucci sans. Come on. Yes, yes. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe now, yeah. But, yeah. But, but, but I'm curious, what, what, what has to happen to really, to really suck you in and to say, I'm going to devote a lot of time making this movie. And what was it in this case? It was the purity of the script and the poetry of it and the absence of, of drama and melodrama. Uh, it was gorgeous. It was a script that I, that you read and you go, Oh, I wish I'd written that. It's beautiful. But I was not going to play that role. I was going to play, Colin's role. And then <clears throat> when I read it, I loved it so much. And I watched Harry's movie, Harry McQueen, who wrote and directed it. Yeah, I watched his first film, which he had made for 10,000 pounds. Wow. Uh, so if any filmmaker thinks that they need a lot of money to make a movie. Well, only when they have expensive actors like you, Stanley. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he made this really beautiful movie for 10,000 pounds. And then I watched it and then I met Harry and he was as wonderful as his, as his writing and his filmmaking. Uh, and then I said, I think Colin should play the other guy. Now, unbeknownst to Harry, I slipped it to Colin. And um, Colin read it and he called me up. He goes, my God, it's so beautiful. I said, I know, I know. So then Colin signed on and very soon afterward, of course, the money came through. With me signed on, I'm not so sure what would have happened. But once that happened, Colin, we started talking with Harry and, you know, talking through it and everything. And then Colin called me and he goes, I think we have to switch roles. And I said, yeah, yeah I was thinking the same thing. But I don't know why. So I was going to say we, why. I mean, what I was that? I don't know. I don't know, Katie. I don't know. It just didn't feel right. So then, and that you can, this doesn't, this doesn't happen. I mean, you can only do that with your like best friend. And you know, if you can't go, Hey, by the way, you know, when you're signed on for a product, I think we should switch roles, you know, and the studio <laughs> goes, what, you know, no. Um, so we go to Harry and poor Harry, you know, blanched and, and he's, and he said, all right, well, let's, you know, in typical sort of British fashion, let's read it. So we read five scenes and then we switched roles because it was more right. I don't know why. There was something rhythmically uh, more right about it being this way. And the, the first scene is, is Colin and the two of you. I think I would say in a semi-spoon in bed. You're semi-spooning? Yeah, yeah. Not a full spoon, but a semi-spoon. No, a teaspoon. A teaspoon, yeah. And, and uh, I don't know, was it, was it fun doing this, this movie with someone who you're very close to and you really like and you play a gay couple? So, you, you know, it, it, I think it must be an added extra if you actually like your no, it you know, helps. On partner. It, it, it helps if you trust and love the person that you're working with. Um, it's always difficult to play uh, a same-sex person if you're, you know, that's always more complicated. But in the end, 
you just want to tell that story truthfully. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's complex, but ultimately it's the story that makes, makes the difference. And I feel like this is uh, illustrative. I don't know. I mean, you would know much more about this than I, but of this opening up of, of art and film to, you know, I hate to, to use sort of, uh, you know, modern vernacular that is sometimes overused, but to make it more representative, more inclusive, more, um, you know, such a variety of experiences. I don't know. Do you, do you feel that is really happening, um, in, 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 in a, in a significant way now, because just as a casual observer, I do. And I think it's so exciting and wonderful, and it makes you realize how how myopically one-sided or uh, one-dimensional a lot of our culture was. Yes. And um, and I'm just curious if, if looking at the big picture, you notice that too. Do you mean regarding... Uh, every, you mean- every different... I, I mean, gay stories... Black yeah. stories, yes. um, yeah. you know, all kinds of stories Story, that I think heretofore yeah. were, were were marginalized or, or really not told at all. Yes, without question. I think what's happening now is a, is a great thing. There were questions raised, of course, because co- neither Colin and I are gay, um, which it seems you, you'd be happy about. But I think... <laughs> But I think that I think that um, the wonderful thing is that we, for for us, selfishly, we have been embraced by the gay community before, having played gay characters before, and in this film, uh, the same thing has happened. Uh, I think that eventually, what is going to happen. And we've talked about this in, in interviews um, that f- for me, it's a, it's a societal issue why uh, uh, gay actors have not been able to just be whomever they are. Um, the, the more society is open, the more expansive um the arts can be art is often a reaction to repression um but i think that i'm hoping that in america and here and throughout the world that that will begin to change and and art can be then an ex, uh, an expression or an extension of freedom and a new reality. And that reality is love is love. And it doesn't matter who it is that you love. And I think that's the beauty of that story of this film is that love is love and loss is loss. We're going through, the, I think, the growing pains of a shifting society. And, you know, I, I, we could talk about this a lot, but maybe over one of your Negronis one day. But, you know, this whole idea of, you know, 
opening the doors to people who were not represented before. And yet, I, I totally understand this, but the idea of having to have an actor who's portraying a certain role ha- come from that role, um, I think that's a slippery slope too, yeah, because no, aren't, we all, aren't we all occupying, uh, me, like I'm an actor, but aren't all actors occupying a, 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 you know, an alternate personage? And, you know, the idea that you have to be that per- person to occupy that space um, I don't know. I I no, I, no, I, agree I find that I find that challenge, you know, challenging to wrap my head around. No, no, and I don't I don't believe in that. Uh I just read this interview with Rupert Everett. Uh and he said, "No, I don't believe that gay actors should only play that that no one who isn't gay should not be able to play a gay role." And no one who is gay shouldn't be able to play a straight role. Exactly. And that's the problem. That's the genesis of it. Right. The genesis is, as I said before, gay actors, gay people were not allowed to simply be who they were in society. So if you can't be that, then you're hiding all the time. And then gay men are playing straight men and only straight men. And then so everyone, so everyone is straight right in society but you know but by the old sort of standards and you're like no it doesn't make any sense it it makes no sense so what once once there's an opening then anybody (laughs) it sounds so silly but anyone then will be accepted playing anyone do you know what i mean yes Yes. Am I making sense or? Yes, you are. You are. I think, I think what you're saying is. I think you are. Yes. No, no, I know. I'm thinking about it. It's, it's how we view people as a society that, that prevents or uh, gives permission to people uh, to play a a whole host of roles, because I think that's what happened to uh, Rupert Everett. Right. I mean, he was typecast and uh, right. And, and I think the role, the, the roles, Right up for him because he was only viewed as a certain way, which was just patently yeah, unfair. So. I don't know, but to me, Rupert's a wonderful actor. That's that's all I know. I don't I don't know anything different than that. I don't care if if a person, whatever their sexuality, I don't really care. Well, I think it, the mores are just changing so much, and that people, you know, I think. I think things have changed so dramatically and I'm writing a memoir night right now. And I just even look back on the nineties when I was covering stories or, you yeah. know, some of the questions I asked, whether it was about sexual harassment with Anita Hill or how I interviewed Matthew Shepard's parents or how we covered Rodney King, you know, it was just in so many ways, Stanley clueless. And I think that we have evolved so much. I yes. mean, sometimes to the point where, you know, it comes crashing down on top of you oh, yeah. if you if you haven't evolved enough. But it's just it's really fascinating to me just how much in the last, gosh, two decades or so, our attitudes have shifted for the better. And, oh, yeah. um, and, I, think, and I think that's that's what you're saying. No, I think you're right. And I think particularly in the, particularly in the last like. Almost like three years. Yeah, like it's true. So, but, but that's also because of the of technology. 
it's technology, but also, you know, two pretty dramatic social movements, social, you know, whether you're talking about Black Black Lives Matter, Me Too and Time's Up. Um, You know, I think the 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 confluence of those two movements have really put the issues front and center as they've never been before for the better. I think, you know, obviously the pendulum can in certain cases swing too far. And, you know, I think no, no social justice movement is perfect. But I think it's, uh, you know, I think that that has has really moved the ball forward in in such a palpable, significant way. And so I guess that's what. Yeah, no, I was going to say that also, but you have, as you said, but I'm going to ask you a question, if I may, that you have seen, you know, as a, as a reporter for so many years, and it has distinctly changed for you. Do you, how do you feel now about when you're, when you're talking to people, how do you, is it, is it easier for you now or is it? harder for you now because there are so many caveats in a way. Right. I think they're, um, this is your your thing. So you can just, (laughs) no, no, no. Yeah. I mean, I think they're, listen, I think that, you know, cultural conditioning, deep seated attitudes that are formed and, um, you know, compounded over Mm. years and years Mm. of, visual stimuli, you know, conversations, mass media, um, you know, familial, uh, kind of, I think outlooks, uh, you know, they form us as a person. And I think what, what's really hard is to, you know, be vulnerable enough to, to kind of challenge your own your own biases, which have developed over the years. I think that, you know, it can be tricky because I think the current landscape, you know, people want to jump on people right away, right? This instantaneous judgment. And there's very little forgiveness in the culture. There's very little forgiveness for mistakes. And I've made, I've made my fair share of mistakes, certainly. And when you're when you're a public figure, it's it it can be it can be very tough and mm. very painful, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. When when you but but I you know I I would hope that people can recognize fair-minded individuals who want to learn and want to be better, but it doesn't yeah. happen overnight necessarily. Yeah, after yeah. you know sixty years of 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 conditioning, so yeah. I try to be mindful. Um, I try not to say stupid things, but I also, uh, you know, I, I, I liked, I like compassionate teachers, you know, I think that, that, um, you know, and, and by the way, you know, this is me coming from me as a 64 year old who has had certain life experiences and privileges. And I get that. Um, but, but, you know, it can, it can be tricky. And I, I pride myself on being a lifelong learner and being open yeah. to understanding. And I think, um, you know, I really appreciate the opportunity. And I, more than that, I appreciate the changes I'm witnessing. And, um, but, but I think for, for some people, it does take adjusting. And, and once in a while, um, I think a little bit of slack 
yeah. can be yeah. a good thing. Yeah. But, you know, I agree. But I have my 25 year old extremely woke daughter there to keep me in line every step of the way. How about you? Do your do your kids, your older kids, not your little ones? Yeah. Um, do you feel like they're they're educating you on some of these things? Yes, always, always. They educate you on who who you are. It's it's always changing. It's always different. Um, I think particularly in the pandemic, because there's no consistency. Who knows, you know, when somebody's living here or there, when they're going to go back to school, when they come can come back home and stay. And, you know, one of my daughters went and stayed with her boyfriend for like almost six weeks. And rightly so. I mean, she's 21 years old and you know, and then, but he was staying with us for a while before that. And so I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's that, it's, it's, so that complicated. Oh. it's, it's a whole thing is everything is heightened and exacerbated. Any issues good or bad are exacerbated by this pandemic. But do they teach you about kind of, you know, I feel like young people are, are so aware and so so much better than we we are in some yeah. ways. Yes. And 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 when it comes to kind of societal issues and change and and you know these thorny matters of of race and gender and class, do you feel like, you know, I I first heard the word intersectionality from my daughter and uh what's the word? intersectionality. It's about the intersection of race and gender. And, you know, um, she's so, she's so smart, but that's what I meant. Do they kind of open your eyes and challenge perhaps some of the, the way, ways you've thought about things to say, dad, have you ever considered yeah, this? Without, without question, without question. I think the only thing that I fear, and this is inevitable, when things sort of start to tilt in another direction, in an extreme or way. Or too far, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is a, uh, a lack of irony. And I think that irony is absolutely crucial to our existence. It, it is the, <laughs> the sort of genesis or the basis of, of all humor, of good humor. Right, right, right. No. Um, so I, I fear uh, the loss of irony um, when somebody can't make, somebody makes a joke and you're like, oh, you're a racist or, oh, you're a sexist or, oh, you're a blah, blah, blah. And you're like, no, actually, no, no, no. It was just, you know, there was something sort of, not even a joke, uh, just, a, you know, something. So I, I, I fear the, the, the loss of irony, but I do think that eventually things come around and this is a natural yeah. progression. I think earnestness and irony are probably, they're, they're not a, the best cocktail, right? No, they're not the best cocktail, but they can, it's like a Pousse Cafe. Do you know what a Pousse Cafe is? <laughs> I don't. Okay, so a Pousse Cafe, if I look at that, that um, actually, that print behind you or painting behind you. Yeah. So it's layers. 
So what you do with the Pousse Cafe is you take the heaviest liquor and you put, you know, a drop in, you know, a shot. Then you take another liquor and you put it in and they lay on top of one another. It's a very complicated drink. It can be made with like 7, 14 or 21 liquors, something insane. No one would ever, I mean, it's disgusting, but visually it's quite beautiful. Uh, and so you layer it and that's the way those two things sort of have to sit like that. But in, at the same time, you have, we have to let them come together. We have to let, uh, earnestness and irony come together. And we go through periods of time where that happens and then it changes again. I think in, you know, yeah, it changes. We'll get That's there. a good, we'll, se- that's- we'll get there again. Yeah, we just need a good a good shaker like the we ones you shaker. use, like the ones you use for your cocktails on Instagram. Yes. Wasn't that a seamless transition? Hey, come on, who are you talking to? <laughs> Stanley Tucci, of course, the hot mixologist. We'll get behind those cocktails right after this. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I have gotten such a kick out of you. First of all, hilariously, you're the sauce man, as you know, Stanley. Yeah. And, uh, but also as the, as the, the hot mixologist on Instagram. So yeah. how did that all start? Yeah, obviously, your wife, Felicity, who um, I'm so happy that you met Felicity and, and you know, you talked about love is love and loss is loss. 
you lost your wife. I lost my husband. So that's why I feel like we actually can talk about that because we, we have that in common, but, um, I guess, uh, you and Felicity, first of all, can I ask you real quickly about your meeting? Because you were at Emily, Emily Blunt and John, I always say his name wrong, Krasinski, right? Krasinski, no, you said it Krasinski's, wrong. Yeah. Krasinski's wedding. Yeah. I love him, by the way. I'm, I just yeah. don't say his name very often. Um, and that's when you met Felicity, Emily's sister. And yeah. uh, she had you at Hello, right? No, not really. Um, she, no, she, <laughs> we actually had met at the Devil Wears Prada premiere. Uh, and I talked to her for a while, but she ended up really talking to Kate, my late wife, a lot about books because, you know, they're voracious readers. And, um, I actually have a photograph of them together. That, oh, wow. That, that's uh, so, that's so moving, actually. That Felicity's mom took. Um, But um, yes, then I went to M's wedding and this was, uh, oh gosh, um, maybe a year? No. Yeah, a year after Kate had passed away. And um, yeah, I, you know, we met and re-met and um, we hit it off. And then we, I was coming to England to do uh, Captain America, and um, <laughs> and um, that, that <laughs> yeah, and sorry, that just made me that, laugh. No, I know it's weird. I know I played the 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 elderly Jewish scientist who uh, created Captain America, which was actually I have to say one of the best jobs I've ever had in my life, uh, um, and. And then we started, you know, going out to dinner and we started dating. And then, um, yeah, that was that. And one thing led to another and you all had two children and, uh, and, and, and this wonderful new life together. So I'm just, I'm just very happy for you both. And uh, I feel like, I feel like Felicity was sort of behind the Instagram cocktail making uh, that you. Totally. I mean, you know, I have no uh, savvy when it comes to this stuff. So she said, um, why don't you do a cocktail? Beginning of lockdown, first lockdown. She said, do a cocktail for um, Curtis Brown, our agency where she works and I'm represented by them. And I said, yeah, all right. It'll just be an in-house thing. And, you know, you do it. I said, yeah, great. And then we did it and sent it to everyone. And they were so happy. And she said, put it on your Instagram. So we did that. And meaning I don't actually know how to do it, but, you know. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean. And then um, uh, it, that happened. It blew, it blew up, as the kids say, Stanley. It blew up. It blew yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We crashed it. So, yeah. <laughs> I think you don't say, you say we crushed it or we crashed, we crushed it. Oh, crushed it. That's the word. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. it's so old. Jesus. Um, before we go, I want to give a quick shout out to your upcoming upcoming book. Yeah. So what is this one about and when does it come out? 
Well, it's a it's a it's a memoir of sorts. It's called Taste My Life Through Food. And um it's exactly that. Uh up to now. Because I don't know. Honey, anything. give me a better elevator pitch than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's just about like, you know, growing up and eating great things and then you know, um, you know, a little bit about um, Julia and Julia, some of the, some little anecdotes there and things like that. And, um, you know, sometimes it delves into the particulars of, of pasta and bolognese uh, and experiences uh, with that. Um, sometimes, you know, it's just I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I've never done anything like it. I'm going through the, you know, copy edits now, which I'm is, doing uh, that right now. You are? Yeah. I, I have, I have a memoir that is actually due yesterday, Stanley. Oh and I've God. been going, th- yeah. And it, it, I've been working on it for about two and a half years and I'm going through everything now. And I don't know, I'm, I'm sort of panicked right now that, that, Gosh, it makes you feel very vulnerable. You're putting something yeah. out in the world. It's extremely yeah. personal. It's ridiculously honest. It's um, you know, about honestly, it's it's the only memoir I'll ever write. It's about my life and how yeah. I got into this crazy business and sort of the the tragedies and the triumphs. No, of course. And, uh, no, you and, suffered. And, you, you went through a, a real loss. You but, know. but you know, and also I've had some professional disappointments. Yeah. I've dealt with some, you know, real dicks in the business. And um, <laughs> and so I am like putting this out there and, and all of a sudden I'm seized by terror that that I'm doing this. And I kind of just want to put the whole thing in a fire. Do you feel that ever? Yes, or is course. this just yeah, me? No, as I'm going through it today, I thought, what am I doing? Who cares? You know, who cares? And also it's like, why would you want to? But but I want to tell the story. Do you know what I mean? I want to tell the story of food in, I'm fascinated by it, but to tell the story of food, I have to tell the story about myself. Right. And that's hard and scary. Yeah. Really scary. Really. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're feeling the same way. Yeah, that no, makes me feel a little bit better. You're going through the same. <laughs> totally. I was totally like not yeah. sleeping, worried and self yeah. full, just just full of self-doubt yeah. doubt and, you know, bordering on loathing. Yes, of course. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Anyway, well, yeah. listen, I feel like this has been a really helpful therapy session for me. Well, Stanley. I'll, I'll do anything I can to help you. You know that. Thank you. Thank you. Oh. And uh, I want you to I want you to be able to be with your children. But I really love talking to you. Thank you for doing our little podcast. Stanley. Oh, no, well, thank you. And I, I really appreciate it. I'm glad it worked out. I just think you're wonderful. Oh, thanks, Stanley. I love Stanley Tucci. If you're also on the Tucci train, you've got to check out this SNL short Tucci Gang with Pete Davidson singing and Sam Rockwell giving us some good Tucci energy. Let's get it! Tucci Gang, Tucci Gang, Tucci Gang, Tucci Gang. It is a riot. Some of you don't know the name, but that's that guy from the Hunger Games. 
Next Question with Katie Couric is a production of iHeartMedia and Katie Couric Media. The executive producers are me, Katie Couric, and Courtney Litz. The supervising producer is Lauren Hansen, associate producers Derek Clements, Adriana Fazio, and Emily Pinto. The show is edited and mixed by Derek Clements. For more information about today's episode or to sign up for my morning newsletter, Wake Up Call, go to katiecouric.com. You can also find me at Katie Couric on Instagram and all my social media channels. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.